Hi, I'm Steve Hayes, and I'm a pastor, and I'm a sinner, and I love stories. I love to hear people's stories. I love to hear how God has worked in their lives to help change them and make them who they are. And I think we all need to hear those kinds of stories. So I hope you'll enjoy it and listen along with This Is My Story. I'm Samantha Burks, and this is my story. Welcome to This Is My Story. Uh, we are here today with Samantha Burke. Is it Burks? Burks. Burks. Samantha Burks. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, AKA, we know her as Sammy. Yes. And um, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me and to um, share your story. And you got quite a story. Yes. And you got a, quite a hair color going over there, too. I like it. Thank you. That, that's a change. Yes. I walked in and I was like, what? <laughs> Decided to color the gray. <laughs> I might need to do the same thing. I, I think I would go with like a fire engine red. Maybe a green. Maybe a green, <laughs> like a bright. Yes, that's awesome. Um, but it is really good to have you. You and I have talked before. Um, you just have an incredible story. Um, my, you know, when I think about my story, sometimes I, I think, I just, I kind of have a boring story and I didn't, I didn't do all that much. And I meet somebody like you and I'm like, holy cow, what a story. How are you still alive? How are you, you know, I mean, really? And I know along with that comes a lot. I mean, you've overcome a ton to be here. So I guess where I'd like to start is you, um, you are a, you're going to have to help me out with the, the official title. A licensed chemical dependency counselor. Licensed chemical dependency counselor. Mm-hmm. And you are uniquely positioned to do that and uniquely equipped to do that because chemical dependency is part of your story. Yes. So um, take us down that road with how that began for you. When did you first get introduced to substances and first go down that trail of chemical dependency? Um, I think a lot of it probably started even before the drugs and alcohol. Of course, you know, anytime that you talk about um, alcoholism or uh, drug addiction, you have to deal with the underlying issues and all that kind of starts um, probably back in childhood. Um, You know, my parents did drink some Mm -hmm. uh, with friends and stuff casually, Mm -hmm. you know, my grandparents, and then we'd get together, play dominoes and drink beer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I would sit with them and sometimes I would take a sip out of daddy's beer or something, you know, Mm -hmm. back then it wasn't as big a deal as it is now. Um, But occasionally mom, you know, as I got a little older, mom would let us have a wine cooler here or there. Mm But I think a lot of my issues started in childhood um, of not feeling wanted, not feeling loved. Um, I know a lot of times as parents, it's hard for us to think about some of the things that we say to our kids and um, not realize how much our words really affect our kids. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was a sensitive kid, probably more than some others. And I like to say, 
everybody gets affected differently. Right. So what one person's trauma may not be trauma to somebody else. Um, so there was things growing up like um, my dad's a military man. And so there was a lot of, there's very strict rules. Um, there was a lot of times where I would hear, you know, if you don't stop crying, I'll give you something to cry about. Mm-hmm. And where that might not affect some kids, it really affected me. Yeah. Um, and I learned really quickly to stuff my feelings, um, to not cry, not show emotion. Um, we didn't talk about our emotions a lot of times in our family. Mm-hmm. So that was not something that we did. Right. Um, so along with all that, growing up, I began drinking in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, going to school, even starting as early as elementary school, I got made fun of a lot. Yeah. I was a bigger girl. I had curly, frizzy hair, you know, a little afro going on, a little white girl with an afro. And that was just not not how you were supposed to be at that time period. Um, my mom would tell me a lot of times that, you know, other little kids aren't going to like you because, you know, you're too fat or, you know, or before I started school, it was I was kind of lazy about potty training. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she would make comments to me about that. And then when I got into school, I realized that kids were making fun of me. And so it just kind of reinforced all that. It wasn't any one thing. It was all of it together. Um, Let me stop you there just real quick, because I think it is important for for me to share and for you to share. You have a great relationship with your parents now. Yes. And you love them. And, you know, um, and they did a lot of things that they knew to do at the time. And a lot of things that they didn't really know any better. But like you said, sometimes, you know, what one kid may be able to handle, no problem. Another kid might, it might take them off guard. And I'm so glad you mentioned that because when we talk about substance abuse in particular and chemical dependency, a lot of times we start with, this is when I took my first drink or this is where I smoked my first joint or whatever it was. And I love how you said it started even before I ever did any of that. It was it was a mindset. And I remember my sister talking about this. Um, she talks about the alcoholic mind and how, you know, even though you may not be even partaking of substances, there's a mindset that goes along with it that makes you susceptible to substance abuse. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you're talking about. Yes. And I think that's a very important message for people to hear because it doesn't just start with your first drink. Absolutely. And, and it also is a hereditary thing. Mm-hmm. So we do have alcoholism that runs in our family. And uh, even though my mom told me that as, as a teenager, I didn't listen, um, of course. Um, but, yeah, my parents did what they thought were best was best at the time. And I see that more now than what I did back mm-hmm. then. Um, but I think in my mind too, I also had my parents on a pedestal. Yeah, they were my gods. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when they do things that would hurt me, it would devastate me. Mm-hmm. Um, and really and truly, I, you know, the whole time I was really crying out for that attention. You know, I wanted them to be proud of me, and I was an all or nothing kind of kid. So um, when my grades weren't enough and my achievements weren't enough at school. I would throw my hands up and go in the opposite direction mm. and I would go far left and I would act out. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of where I went wrong in high school. Um, I started out with the drinking and stuff and 
I had really good grades for a while and it, it was my grades came pretty easy to me so I didn't really have to study a lot yeah. and I made good grades um, but as I got into high school eventually I began smoking weed mm-hmm. you know and of course I was completely against doing any other drugs at that time and I have learned through my experience never say never because <laughs> right. everything I ever said I'd never do I did mm-hmm. um, unfortunately but it just escalated from there um, through high school. Um, I think when I was 16 or 17, uh, I started dabbling around with uh, cocaine and crank. Um, by the time I completed high school, by the time I was 18 years old, um, I got arrested for the first time uh, for breaking into money boxes out at Lake Ray Roberts. Mm-hmm. Um, Actually, I was the drunk drunk one in the car, and mm-hmm. the other people were breaking in the boxes, but, you know, I went to jail because I was in the car with them. Right. Um, one of the things that, you know, parents always tell their kids, it, it's guilt by association. Right. And I didn't understand that concept at all. Um, but it, it just kind of escalated from there, and um, I think by the time, uh, when it came into relationships and stuff, all that self-hatred kind of got uh, reinforced. Yeah. And um, the relationships that I had with the guys were not good. Um, one of the first relationships that I got into, the guy told me that he wasn't going to continue seeing me or dating me if I didn't sleep with him. So that was kind of my first lesson on that. And um, mm-hmm. so then I kind of related love and sex together. Mm-hmm. And um, so with the drug use, you know, it, I became very promiscuous by the time I was... 16, I think it was about 16, I got raped at a party that I never talked to anybody about um, until I went to treatment a few years back. So, I mean, that was something that I just never, I kept it to myself. My best friend that was there with me, she knew about it, and she was the only one. Um, But, yeah, uh, after that, it was just I bounced around from one relationship to the next, and I'm not even sure I would call them relationships, per se. Um, They were definitely unhealthy relationships right did you find that um, that that lack of acceptance that you sort of naturally struggled with and that you began to struggle with in your home did you find that there was always a group that was willing to accept you it may not have been the group you wanted to accept you or the group that was doing the right things but you kind of eventually fell to the group that maybe you were doing things that you shouldn't have been doing or you got sucked down into some of these areas that you didn't even want to be doing, but you did it for the acceptance? Oh, absolutely. Um, Of course, you all have your little cliques in high school. Mm -hmm. Um, And I kind of, I don't know if I, I kind of associated with a little bit of everybody. kind of bounce around a lot i never really felt like i fit in with any of them Um, but there was that group of kind of outcast kids that i fell into the most Um, we were going to parties and doing the rave parties and stuff like that Um, mixing turntables and music and all that kind of stuff but i got to where um, i couldn't function socially unless i was um, on something yeah you know some kind of drug or alcohol or something i could i just couldn't I couldn't socialize. Did your parents know at the time? 
Um, or did you keep it hidden? A lot of it I kept hidden. Um, yeah. I was, uh, now, now to back up a little bit, I will say, you know, to, to talk about my relationship with God um, through the process. Yeah. Um, my parents did take us to church. We went every Sunday night. We went, uh, or Sunday morning and Sunday night, and we went Wednesday night a lot of times. Um, so we did have some church, but the stories, you know, I remember hearing a lot of the stories when I was younger and, you know, Jonah in the well and, and a virgin get pregnant and all these things, they just didn't make any sense to me. Yeah. So it was like watching, like the kids watching VeggieTales today, that's how I saw the Bible stories, okay. just some cartoon. Yeah. So it just never made a lot of sense to me and it just never really stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, at the same time, I remember feeling like I knew or I wanted to know Jesus or I loved Jesus. I knew he was there. Um, I just didn't really understand it. And I remember being called a couple times, you know, to be saved and thinking about baptism. And it just never, I did never feel right because I just didn't feel like I was there. And I, I, I guess my thought process was, you know, if I get baptized and then I really screw up, God's never going to accept me. Right. So I just never did it, you know. And mm-hmm. I think um, through that process, um, I went through several stages with my, my relationship with God before yeah. I came back to him. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, my parents, they kind of knew. Um, they knew several different occasions that I was doing stuff. Um, my mom and I had a very... Um, love-hate relationship, mm-hmm. um, to put it nicely. Uh, my parents were very strict and controlling, mm-hmm. and I was always trying to find freedom. Um, and so it, we butted heads a lot. So they would they would grasp for control over you, mm-hmm. and you would resist just as hard as they would yes. grab. Mm-hmm. You'd raise the ante every time, huh? Yes. I remember my mom coming out and hunting me down in some places, you know, and, and dragging me out by the hair of my head. And, and mm-hmm. it was just so embarrassing and things like that. And I understand now where she was coming from. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, it it made me resist even more. Right. You know, and yeah. um, there were times where I felt afraid of my mom, mm-hmm. um, of my family, and just because of things that, she would do out of loving care, but would end up hurting me. Right. You know, and I was like, you know, you're just destroying my life. Mm-hmm. You know, and I know she was trying to help in ways, but yeah. I just, you know. And, and I do remember um, at one point, uh, as an adult at one point, I kind of had these bouts of getting straight and sober for a while, and then okay. I would kind of fall off. Mm-hmm. And so I was living in Denison at one point in time, and I had uh, gotten into doing methamphetamines mm-hmm. intravenously. Oh, wow. And I do remember a time where my parents came into my house, which was in foreclosure at the time, and most of the furniture and everything was gone in my house. Um, so there was like a couch, maybe some sleeping bags and stuff in there, and there was no electricity or water turned on anymore. And they came in, and they, they found me um, in the house, passed out, with a needle laying in the floor and to do an intervention on me. And I remember just being, um, I, I, I was furious. I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. You know, I didn't want my entire family's just standing there staring at me. And it's like, 
you know, all I could do was yell and scream and, and you know, run out of the door because I didn't want them to see that, you know. Right. You were, if they came to try to rescue you, you were just going to dig in harder. Yeah. To the life you were living. Yeah. Because it was it was better than the alternative of facing the shame and the... The shame and the guilt that kept me wrapped up in that lifestyle. Yeah. And, you know, it... And a lot of it, you know, just from my past, um, one of the instances that we had with the school counselor, um, they tried to get me into counseling at one point after a friend of mine uh, that I was in school with, he was 15 uh, when he got shot and killed. Mm. And um, I was I was about 15. And I, I know the counselor had gone to my parents about having me involved in the school counseling. And, right. you know, that was just not something that our family believed in at the time. Right. And uh, so my parents refused to allow me to, to do the counseling there. And mm-hmm. so in rebellion, I decided that I wouldn't, you know, if I couldn't go to counseling, that I wish wouldn't talk to anybody. And um, so I began, you know, to keep things hidden a lot. Stuff um, everything. Stuffed everything. I kind of became this little chameleon of whoever I was around, I could change myself to be who they wanted or needed me to be. Mm-hmm. So for every situation, I just became that person, Yeah, you know, um, and that's all that I wanted. I was looking for something that I couldn't find. I wanted to be loved. I wanted to be accepted. Um, but I was being loved and accepted for all the wrong reasons. Right. Right. Um, and, and I think so many of us play those, some of those same games. You know, we um, we can all look at ourselves and at times and think, oh, I did this to fit in or I changed who I was in this setting because I didn't want to be looked at weird or because I had something to hide or because I, I was in some level of rebellion in my life. And it, it, it kind of seems to me the same things that a lot of young people and even adults struggle with that may be like on steroids, like magnified to a to a pretty strong disease, uh, you know, and to a pretty to a pretty strong degree. So you were exhibiting some of the same, uh, you know, defense mechanisms that a lot of people exhibit. Mm-hmm. But it was just magnified. Yeah. And and you were in it kind of too far to probably be fully aware of it even what you were doing oh yeah um you know as talking about the friends and stuff that you hang out with um you know the group of friends that I kind of fell into were the ones that were also broken yeah um and so it was kind of like the blonde leading the blind right and uh we leaned a lot on each other Uh, yeah and it's funny because in you know it's not funny but in in the there are addiction communities where people are addicted, but they're in community with each other and they have a weird dependence on each other, mm-hmm. you know, even to cover their addiction or to stay in that plight. It's just interesting to me that, and I had somebody tell me this at one point, if you don't fit in in the right crowds, there will always be a place for you to fit in the, in the wrong ones. Absolutely, yeah. And that sounds like that's what you found. Yeah, and it's it's a whole other world. Um, you know, I try to explain to people that haven't ever, you know, been there. Um, 
when you're running and living that lifestyle, it's like a whole nother world exists within the world that we're used to living in. Mm. And it's one that you probably would never see. Right. Um, but it exists right here in your own community. Yeah. And a lot of people turn a blind eye to it. And it exists in our community big time. Yes, absolutely. It does. So continue on with your story. You, you've gotten into to a pretty strong degree into all of this, but you still had further to go. You hadn't hit rock bottom yet. Yeah. You hadn't gotten to a point where you were ready to change your life or knew how. Yeah. Um, what happened from there? Well, I know, like, at one time I had gotten sober um, when my brother and my sister-in-law had my niece. Um, that was one of the things that my brother had told me. If you don't straighten up, you know, you're not going to be a part of her life. And, right. you know, that was that was catastrophic for me, yeah. you know. Um, I had kind of gotten to a point where uh, I just, I was going out and getting drunk and, and just doing stupid stuff. And, you know, he didn't know that there was anything more to it than that at that time. But I did get straight, I did get sober um, for, it lasted probably for about seven years. Wow. Um, and I was doing, fairly decently, but I started kind of going out, um, going to the bars and hanging out, um, ran across an old friend of mine and, um, who dealt with cocaine and kind of started dabbling with that a little bit. And then I met this guy, um, and he and I kind of started dating and, uh, he evidently had been in trouble before for making methamphetamines and talked me into letting him make methamphetamines in my house. Um, so that was kind of my first experience when I started getting into meth. Um, he taught me how to cook it in my own home. Mm. Um, and I think at one point in time, we, uh, when everything kind of fell apart, we threw some matchbooks into the trash can. And when the trash guy came to pick it up, the trash compactor compacted and it struck all the mattress and caught the trash truck on fire in front of my house. Um, yeah. So, um, of course, my house got ransacked, um, and that was the first time that I had really had any interaction with the police over it. Um, I ended up getting out of that. Uh, I, I did lie to the police to get out of it. Um, I think they knew that it wasn't, that it was somebody else that was there, but I would never tell them who it was. Um, right. That's kind of a code there that I had to reprogram myself out of. Um, but it was it was really, that's kind of where things started really going downhill for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time where I, I, I kind of hit, I say I hit two rock bottoms. This was on my way to the first rock bottom. Okay. Um, and I ended up in some, going through all kinds of stuff. Uh, I think that's when I started shooting up I started learning how to sell drugs um, and getting introduced to a lot of people. Um, I got very well known in the area, so I had a lot of interactions with the police officers. My house was getting searched all the time, and I kind of got known for getting away with stuff because I would hide it a lot of times, or I'd I'd find some way, I think it was just God. God was watching out for me Mm -hmm. um, on many, many occasions. Um, 
but I had uh, I finally ended up getting into some trouble over my purse getting stolen and then I honestly mistakenly filled out the affidavits um, but I was high at the time that I filled them out so mm-hmm. that's why I made the mistakes on them that I did and so the bank actually dropped the charges on me but the DA picked it up and so I ended up with a probation charge um, and that was about the time that my parents told me you know we'll help you if you come back and, and so I ended up doing that right and then right as I was moving back the doctors had told me that I wouldn't be able to have a child and um, that really devastated me. Mm. Um, I'd had a few miscarriages and they told me that I would never be able to carry. And so I just kind of went, a lot of things were going on. My aunt passed away, you know, and there was just a lot of things in my life that were already on top of my horrible perception of life. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I was spiraling downhill. And so I had moved back with my parents and I had a car accident um, and shattered the whole right side of my body. I got mm. hit by a cement truck. Mm. Um, so uh, at that point, my mom was like, I, th- I think she kind of had her feel with a lot of things. And um, since I was confined to a wheelchair, she kind of took me up to Corsicana. <laughs> you know, we mm-hmm. had the house up here. And so she's like, I'm taking you up here. Nobody can find you. You can't go anywhere. You're stuck with me. And, you know, I was, I was angry, but at the same time, you know, it was kind of like, I'm just here, you know? Yeah. So I had a lot of rehabilitation to do. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, About six months or so it took before I was walking up and moving again. And I had moved um, to Allen um, and the guy that I had started dating that taught me how to do, uh, how to cook the meth. He had moved to Richardson. Oh, wow. Right around the corner. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, I always thought, well, see, we were just meant to be. God made it that way, you Mm -hmm. know? And I don't know, things just kind of, he was, we're very very toxic for each other, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. He was one of those that he wanted me around when he wanted me around, and then he didn't when he didn't. Right. And I was, far too in love with him to see things, you know, mm-hmm. as they were. But yeah, I had gotten sober again for a while. I ended up pregnant with Bailey, um, which was a complete shock because, you know, like I said, I had been told that I couldn't have kids. So it wasn't something that, you know, I had prepared for. Um, I was rather promiscuous. Um, I was doing drugs and doing mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. So, you know, I wasn't very careful, you know, I I didn't think I could get pregnant, so I wasn't real worried about it, but. Did that clean you up? Did you stay clean through pregnancy? I did. I quit smoking and stayed clean through the pregnancy. Um, The guy and I, we kind of split up for a while. Um, We ended up back together about a month before Bailey was born. We tried to be sober together, (laughs) which was not good for us. I mean, Mm -hmm. it just didn't work. Um, There were a couple of times where we kind of dabbled on a weekend or something, you know, when Bailey was going to my parents' house and we just, we couldn't seem to get along sober. Were you still in the drug world as far as like 
selling and no I had stepped away from all that when Bailey was born um mm-hmm. it wasn't until um when he and I finally kind of had a falling out about when she was about two years old mm-hmm. um we kind of had it out and here I am with my expectations again I got in this fight with him and I pushed him to a limit and what I expected from him was to fight for our relationship. Right. And he didn't. He was done. You know, I came home from work one day and he was gone. You know, and did and that so, cause another spiral? It did. You know, and of course, you know, me being the person that I was and growing up the way that I did, I believed I could handle it all on my own. I didn't mm. need anybody else, mm. you know, and so everybody asked me, are you okay? Okay. Yeah, I'm fine. It's fun. I got this, you know, but inside I was, I was a tornado. Um, you know, I remember putting Bailey to bed at night and, and I would sit in the shower and cry, mm. you know, and I just, I, I didn't know how to deal with life on my own or, or anything. I just, I had no coping skills at all. Um, so here I was just kind of sitting there. I was lonely. I was tired. I was, you know. And you went back to the only thing. Yeah. That helped. Helped me to deal with all that. seemed to help. Yeah. Um, right back to the, to the same ways of coping. Mm-hmm. And did it, did it go right back to the same level? Not at first. At first, it was just kind of, you know, dabbling. I was hanging out with some friends on the weekend, you know, Mm -hmm. just to get out of my space. Um, And then, of course, it got to where it was like, you know, well, the meth would help me to stay up more. It gave Mm -hmm. me more energy, you know. Eventually, you know, I was having a hard time paying bills, so I could sell a little bit on the weekends, and I could make some money back and, you know, Mm -hmm. make ends meet. And, you know, at first, it was kind of okay. And it's always that way when you start doing some of this stuff it's all great in the beginning right um and you think you have control over it but eventually it takes control over you Mm -hmm. and that's kind of where it went it was just one thing after another after another and it was just before i knew it i mean within a short period of time i'm just spiraling out of control again i'm having Mm -hmm. problems at work having problems you know at home my family starts to take notice of some of the things that i'm doing or not doing, um, you know, some of the people that I start having around my house and stuff, you know, my parents start taking notice of that. Um, uh, one thing I will say, I tried, you know, to never have drugs around when Bailey was with mm-hmm. me, you know, I never had them in the house when she was there, mm-hmm. you know, um, I didn't have those people around her when she was there, you know. Um, but you were not doing well. No, I was not doing well at all. Did it, uh, did it ever affect her? Um, CPS ever get involved or anything like that? No, they mm-hmm. didn't. No, my parents did come in and, and take her from me at one point okay. in time, and it was it was all out war. I mean, I I lost it. Yeah. Um, I was combative with them. They took her and they hid her, and they did this whole intervention thing with me. I did not do well with interventions. <laughs> <laughs> you know, by this point, I was just an angry and hate-filled person. Yeah. Um, at this point, my relationship with God had gotten to a point where um, 
I was angry with him. I, I remember at one point in time, I yelled at him and I cursed him. And, you know, God and I just had an all out fight. Um, you know, how could you do this to me? How could you create me this way? Hmm. You know, how can you even say that you're a good God if, if you're going to put me through this? You know, why am I even here? You know, there's no way that you can exist Cause I'm sure, if you've done this to me. I'm sure there were times when you had prayed, God, take this from me. Yes. I don't want to be like this. And so this here's this moment where it's not been taken from you. You still are like this. And God, where are you at? Mm-hmm. So how did you ever make peace with God? How did you ever clean up out of this? Well, and that's the best story. Yes. Um, so after Bailey, mom and, and dad had kind of taken Bailey and I had resolved to letting her stay with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I was trying off and on to kind of get my life back together. But at the same time, I was still involved in things I got involved for um, selling some drugs for some people that were not very good people. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did not want me to stop making money for them. And mm-hmm. so there was some threats that were made, um, some things that happened. Um, and I remember driving back from Sherman Denison area from where I was um, from and driving back to Corsicana to go see my daughter. Um, because I would do that. I would go and I would run the streets and then I would clean up for two or three days and then I would come back to Course Canada to spend two or three days with my daughter. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of going back and forth. And um, I remember kind of dozing off on my way back. I was driving, it was probably about, it was probably around midnight, um, driving through Dallas. And I hit the concrete barrier on 75. And like my car went up on two wheels and came back down and I went all the way across all four lanes of highway into the ditch and uh, it jolted me awake, you know, and I got out of the car and I was just crying. And the only thing that was wrong was it busted the fog light on my car. Mm -hmm. Um, Luckily, there was nobody else on the road, which doesn't happen in downtown Dallas at any point in time of the day or not. Right. (laughs) So again, God. but I remember at that point, I fell to my knees in the ditch on the side of the highway, just bawling. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I told God, I said, I don't know if you're there. I said, but if you are, I, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, I need you. I need you to do something in my life because I can't do it. Whatever needs to happen, I can't do it. I don't have the power to do it. And... um. I got back in the car, I made it to Corsicana, and um, I got down here and I spent the weekend with my daughter. And although there was something pulling at me to stay, there was also something pulling at me and telling me I couldn't. Um, and so I was going to do this drug deal and um, I was really trying to get the money together to get this hotel and I was gonna take my daughter and, and you know, or not a hotel, but an apartment. Um, I was working. I had started working again at a job in um, in Dallas, and uh, so I thought, okay, I'm going to get this extra money. This is going to give me the money I need to put a down payment on this apartment, and you know, all this stuff. And I don't know. Something told me that 
I wasn't coming home that night. Something told me that I was going to jail. And it was like, I remember calling a friend of mine and telling him, I was like, you know, I'm going to jail tonight and you should come up here and sit in this parking lot. That's where I'm going to be. And I need you to see what happens, you know? And um, he's like, well, why are you going? And I was like, I don't know. I just, it was like a magnet pulling me. And, you know, looking back on it now, I know that was God Hmm. pulling me into something that needed to happen. Hmm. Um, But I did. I um, went into an undercover drug bust. Hmm. um, And so I got busted and went to jail that night. For the first time, my parents decided they were going to leave me there, (laughs) Hmm. which was a good thing. And and it's crazy because I had the money in my account to get out. Um, but there was some other things that were going on at that point in time that were blocking me from being able to access my bank accounts. Um, so the DA was not very happy with me. He, he wanted me to, to be charged. He was ready to throw the book at you. Yeah. He had been trying to catch me for a good long time. That was their chance to get you and make an example of you. Exactly. Everything else. And it, 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 was ever all signs were pointing toward you were you were going to go away and maybe do some significant time. Yes, the DA was pressing for a tenure um, state jail sentence. Um, so I kept telling them no. It was my first felony charge. I'd had some misdemeanor charges before, um, some public in talks and mm-hmm. you know little things. Um, I say little things. If I had probably been punished more for the little things, I probably, you know, if I had gotten the treatment that I needed when I was having issues with the little things, then I might not have had to go through the big things. Right. Um, but, you know, this was kind of my, my moment. Um, my parents were like, you're just going to stay there. You're going to have to suffer the consequences. Um, I was angry with them. I was angry at them. I was angry at God. I was like, God, this is not what I asked you for, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but he gives us what we need, even if it's not what we want. Hmm. Um, and so through that, I eventually did get out for a while. I tried to straighten up for a while. I kind of went back and forth with some stuff um, until I ended up going to court. So I got arrested in August. I had gotten mm-hmm. out. And so then I ended up going back to court right before Christmas of 2012. Okay. Um, the DA did not come off of his offer for 10 years. Um, I did get a chance, the attorney that my parents helped me get, they did help me get an attorney. Um, and he got me before the drug court board. Um, now here's the amazing thing about the drug court board. This is how amazing God is. He places people in your life that you have no idea how they're gonna come back around to you. Mm-hmm. Um, the head of the drug court board was uh, an attorney that I had worked for before at one of my many jobs, <laughs> um, doing uh, mortgage banking and stuff. And so he was the head of the drug court board. And you had no idea? I had no idea until I walked in the room <clears throat> and wow. I saw him. And then the girl who used to be my bartender at the bar that I used to frequent, she was the uh, lead psychiatrist. She had been going to school all this time um, for um, psychology and psychiatry uh, wow so she was she was on the board too and so when I walked in and I saw both of them it was it was kind of a bittersweet moment because it was kind of embarrassing because I was like oh my gosh you know here I am going before these people this way but at the same time you know <coughs> I could see the part that God was playing in my life he put them in my life 
they were significant figures in my life at one point in time. So they knew me. They knew what I struggled with. They knew who I was. <coughs> I'm trying not to have a coughing fit, but I'm about to. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <coughs> but they knew who I was outside of the drugs. Yeah. You know. And so I think that they played a significant part in me being approved for the drug court program. Good. Um, because <clears throat> my charge was a manufacturing delivery charge, which is not something that they usually will pick for that program. Right. Um, so, yeah, it did kind of work out. I did go before the judge, um, and the judge told me that he was going to give me the 10-year sentence that the DA wanted, but he would probate it for 10 years if I agreed to do the inpatient treatment along with the drug court program. Um, so I went to um, Bowie County Women's Recovery Center in Texarkana is where I ended up getting sent to for about a year. And it was it was godsend. I mean, that, that place. Life-altering. Life-altering. Um, I'll be honest. Uh, I can honestly tell you that I felt God's presence in that place the minute I walked into it. Mm. Um, it's, you know, some people talk about the treatment centers that they go to or safe pee when it comes to TDCJ. And um, it, it wasn't quite like the safe pee programs, but it's still part of TDC. Um, it's a treatment community. So. It's run maybe a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, What's TDC? Um, Texas, Texas Department, Department of Correction. Criminal Justice. Yeah. Oh, criminal justice. Okay. So, um, yeah, I was there for almost a year, right about 11 months, I think. Um, I sat in county for about three months before I got shipped over there. And that was a significant moment because, you know, sitting in county jail for three months um, is a horrible experience for anybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but at the same time... I got to where I saw people that would come in and they would get out. And I mean, within a week or two, they would be right back in there. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking to myself, God, I don't want that to be my life in and out of this place. You know, I've been in and out of it enough. You know, I don't at my age and I would see people that were 50 and 60 years old coming in there. And I'm like, really? Yeah. You know, and, and I thought, I don't want that to be me. So you started putting the pieces together. Yeah. It probably gave you a lot of time to think. <clears throat> it did. And to think, how did I get here? What were the things that led me to this? And mm-hmm. <clears throat> Right before I left county is when I decided, okay, God, you put me here. Mm-hmm. What do you want me to know? Let me stop you right there. You said the words, you put me here. Mm-hmm. There are people in the world today and people who are Christ followers today who would say, God doesn't put you in bad situations. God doesn't put you in places of punishment or places that might not be comfortable or feel good. What would you say to that? I would say that... Even though, you know, yes, it's my actions, it's my responsibilities, um, uh, not to put any of the accountability off of me. But when I cried out to God, he led me where I needed to be. You might have seen it as a place of punishment, and maybe at one point I did too, but that was my place of salvation. Mm-hmm. That was my saving grace. So he took you from the ditch mm-hmm. to the cell. <laughs> the way I like to put it is, um, in the Bible it talks about, um, he will leave the flock of 99 to find that one that's lost. Yep. 
And, you know, the shepherds back then, they would take the sheep and they would break their legs and put them around their neck Hmm. and carry them. And so until they healed, and that was where they learned that this is the person I need to depend on. Hmm. I have to stay with him, you know. And I feel like God did that to me. He broke my legs and he put me in a place and he said, this is what you're going to do. And, and, um, and I did, I opened my Bible and I started reading and I, and I, you know, every time before I'd start reading, I'd say, what do you want me to know? Hmm. And I started reading it from the very beginning. And by the time I left treatment, I had read the entire thing all the way through. Wow. Um, and I learned so much. I soaked up every word of it. You know, it was like all the things that never made sense to me before just came together. And it was like, oh, my gosh, this is the most amazing book I've ever read in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, um, of course, there's still a lot of it that I don't really understand or maybe it just didn't come together. But um, the gist of it, like the overall picture of of that time and, and everything just kind of came together and why. <clears throat> and at the same time, I was reading um, Battlefield of the Mind by Joyce Meyer. I don't know if you've ever read that book. Um <coughs> but uh that is an amazing 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 book um but i was kind of reading it at the same time that i was reading my bible and it goes so well together i would say if anybody is ever struggling with anything in their life no matter what it is that is a great book to read yeah all right so um you your god placed you there because he if i understand you correctly God placed you there because he loved you too much to let you go. Absolutely. That, and, so, and that's the way I see it. Yeah. So he wrapped you up, put you put you around his neck and said, you're going to depend on me. You're going to learn to depend on me mm-hmm. because I love you too much to leave, leave you in that mess. Absolutely. <clears throat> and you responded. Yeah. Read his word, <laughs> soaked, it, soaked it up like a sponge. I did. Um, Your heart changed. Um, there was an amazing lady that came into the treatment center and she did our, our church on Sundays, um, Miss Pam. I love her dearly. She does a lot of um, charity work there in, in Texarkana and um, loves on the ladies there. And I sat with her and I talked many, many times um, and was saved with her while I was there. Awesome. Um, we... Uh, I did get to go. They take us sometimes when you get to a certain level, they'll let you go up to outside church. So there was a big church there that we got to go to. And so that was really neat. Um, but I learned I learned a lot there. But one of the things that I learned was part of the reason that my mom and I had such a strained relationship um, was we, we had a very codependent relationship. Mm. Um, I never understood what codependency was. Uh, I didn't. I just always thought it w- meant that you depended on somebody. And I was like, you know, I'm trying not to depend on her, you know. Right. Um, but no, it's just, <clears throat> it's allowing your morals and values to go to the wayside so that, you know, you can make somebody else happy. Hmm. And, um, you know, my mom and I, our lives were very entangled with each other. And, you know, I didn't find out until we had our family sessions and stuff, too. You know, I kind of knew some of the things that had happened to her in her childhood, but not to the extent that, you know, we we learned about each other. Um, at the same time, you know, I had asked my mom when I agreed to go to treatment, you know, if I'm going to go to treatment, I, I want you to get some counseling or something too, you know, because you and I are a lot of 
of the problem. And um, so she did. She went to counseling. Um, and, of course, you know, we were writing back and forth with letters and stuff. And um, that's when I told her that, you know, I really wanted Bailey to go to church and, and to know God. And um, that was something that was going to be very big for me is to find a, a church family. And um, by then they had moved up here to Corsicana. Mm-hmm. And um, that's when they started searching for a, a church that had a, a kids program. And they found Grace. And I'm so grateful that they did. Um, I, I love it here. And it's it's been very welcoming. And that was something that I was very worried about because of my past. You know, when I did get out, mm-hmm. um, it is it, still nerve-wracking, you know, when you go and you meet people and you, try, you tell them, you know, I'm a recovering addict. People don't always respond the way you want them to. Right. Um, and I worried about that because I had gone into churches before that, that turned me out right. because of my past. Um, and, you know, so I was, I was very grateful when I came here and met y'all and, and talked with you about my past and, and especially getting involved in the children's program. You right. know, I wanted to be very open and honest about that. And yeah. so y'all still accepted me. And, I, you know, that was such an amazing thing for me. I remember <clears throat> when you came, you were... You know, you were shy and a little standoffish and a little slow to trust. But I think in time, you know, it's been a really good friendship. It's been a good relationship. And we just love having you all here. So I'm so glad. And you've been able to share your story now with our with our student ministry, um, with me. You know, and I think everybody who hears your story is just amazed. And... What I want people to know, especially parents out there, parenting is so hard. You know that now. Yes. And I'm sure you look back on some of the things that your parents did and go, okay, I get it now. You know, because nobody can push your buttons like your kids. Yeah. um, And that struggle to figure out how to maintain your authority and yet still be loving and gracious with your kids, it's it's a real tightrope sometimes um so you know when i when i think of your story i think it's important for parents to see um we want to jump in there and grasp for control and we want to rip our kids out of these situations that are going to be so painful for them and we want them to know what we know you know 20, 25 years, 30 years younger than us, we want them to know what we know already with all of our vast experience and knowledge and wisdom. And they just don't learn it overnight. And sometimes they have to learn it through some of the hardest, you know, struggles and failures. Sometimes it's embarrassing as a parent. Mm -hmm. Um, And it can be so painful. But um, time... And, and experience and even punishment, the discipline of having to face the consequences of life and learn from that, the failures, all of those things have a tendency to be the best teachers. Yes, absolutely. And, and the Lord <laughs> can, the, I think what I think of when I think of your story and why it encourages me so much and it, it touches me because it reminds me that the <clears throat> that the arm of the Lord is not too short to reach any of us. 
Absolutely. No matter where we are. And God found you in the ditch. He did. A drug addict in the ditch. Absolutely, yeah. And he and he brought you out. Yeah. The arm of the Lord is not too short to reach us. And he really did. You're you're the one sheep that strayed away mm-hmm. and he went and found you in a hole and pulled you out. Yes. And I just think it's amazing how so many people think they resist a relationship with God because they don't think that God will love them where they are. They don't think he can. They think he will only love you when you clean yourself up mm-hmm. and when you get right. And sometimes I thought that I had done so much that God could never love me. Yes. There was just, I had gone too far. Yeah. And what we don't realize is that that's when God's at his best. Mm-hmm. He loves finding us in the in the most desperate places. And he loves rescuing his people. That's why he sent Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so um, I just think it's such an important message for people to hear. And it has been such an important message for me. Your story ministers to me. So I'm glad I get to have the chance to be your pastor. But I'm more glad that, you know, I, I feel honored in that because I see where you've come from and see what God has done in your life. And it's just, it never ceases to amaze me. So, and now look at you. You're, uh, you've gone on to get a lot of education. Yes, I did. I finished my um, my bachelor's degree in business management. I finished my master's degree in business management. Um, with, with honors and yes. like high honors and all of these things. You're yeah, and that, that, that was kind of me um, fighting God again a little bit because mm-hmm. um, he was kind of leading me to be a counselor. And I was right. like, you know, by that point, I was like, I've done all the recovery stuff I want to do. I'm so sick and tired of living and eating, you know, recovery, AA, NA, you know, celebrate recovery, all this yeah. stuff. And I was kind of burned out on it a little, Um, but God kept leading me back to it. um, And I have found when I let go of that control of things Mm -hmm. and just kind of let him take control, um, he puts things, he weighs things on me. And the more they weigh on me, I realized that that's him talking to me. And so he kept leading me back and I was like, okay. So I started checking into the LCDC. And so right about the time that I finished my master's degree, the time frame came up for me to be able to get my LCDC. Right. So by the time I got enrolled in the classes at Hill College, finished the certificate classes, um, I was able to get my pro- uh, probation that I was on mm-hmm. released early uh, for good behavior and everything. So that was a godsend. Um, he just laid everything out and everything went according to plan. Like he, that was all him. Yeah. You know, I was worried about this happening. He made it happen. I was mm-hmm. worried about this happening. He made it happen. Every step of the way, I was like, okay, I went this far and I'm going to be stuck because this is just not going to go through. Right. And it just, it would just miraculously happen. And um, when I got into the job that I'm working here, you know, uh, I was doing my internship, my practicum with them. And, um, the lady that was working in the Corsicana office here, you know, she was, I was going to be helping her out. Um, my boss now, she came in and she was like, okay, well, I might be able to help you hire, hire you to, to help out down there a little bit, but it'd be kind of part-time. And I was like, okay. Um, 
And then all of a sudden, like the next week, she calls me and she's like, uh, the lady that's working down there is going to be quitting. And so I need somebody to run that office. And so here I am working on trying to get my license um, instated and get in to do the test um, for the state. And like it all just went bam, bam, bam. And I passed the test and it worked out. And I mean, it just the timing was just perfect in every way. It's amazing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm working here in, in the office, the Hope office and <coughs> working with parolees and, and probationers and um uh, and doing, I love it. And doing what God has called you to do, and it's kind of full circle now. Yes. You were in it, and now you're helping people get out of it. Absolutely. And it's amazing. Um, well, thank you so much for sharing your story. Thanks for being a part of things here at Grace. Thanks for being honest and open about everything. And um, I know that God is going to use your story in a big way to, to reach people because there are so many people who are wrestling desperately in the same type of insecurities and pain and substance abuse that you were in. And, and I so, do want to say too that my the family relations, you know, has been completely restored and it's yeah. better than it's ever been for an entire family. Yeah, you're, I mean, your parents are awesome and it's so fun to see y'all together now. And every once in a while, your mom will say something that will just give a hint of this has been really hard. Yeah. It's been really hard for all of y'all. It has been. But I think that's probably what makes it so good for all of y'all now is that you just cherish what you have. Absolutely, you didn't have yeah. It. Thanks for the time. Thank Love you. you. Appreciate you. Love you too. Glad you're here. If you enjoyed our show, please subscribe. And if you'd like to spread the word, please consider leaving a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Our video podcast is available on our Grace Community Church YouTube channel. This Is My Story is produced and engineered by Jake Moore and is a ministry of Grace Community Church in Corsicana, Texas. The views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the speaker and do not necessarily express the views of Grace Community Church. Thanks for listening. Thank you.